0: Well, do pull out your message outline. If you don't use one normally, you're definitely going to need one this morning, I think. So let me encourage you, do pull that out. Um, why wouldn't you want to use the outline? That's what I say. Anyway, so do grab hold of that. You'll find it helpful as we work through it this morning. And we're in the, the, the next part, the penultimate part in our series of messages called Countercultural Church. And uh, what we've been doing, we've been looking at really um, over the last sort of six, seven weeks, we've been looking at why the church of God, the true church of God, a church that builds upon the Bible, why that church is the most radical. And it really is a radical uh, movement. Why it is transformative in the sense that the gospel message that the true church preaches transforms people's lives. Why is a subversive countercultural movement that it, it is the most... Uh, that kind of movement that has ever existed and ever will exist. And we live in this culture, as I've been saying every week, that is increasingly turning its back on God, uh, going against biblical morality, a kind of almost anything goes kind of culture that we live in. And so the church, as the Bible tells us, the church, and the church, I mean by that us, the people of God, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, the church should be different. It should stand out as different. It should, in other words, be salt and light, as Jesus tells us. Now, this morning, I want to talk about how to worship at all times. And I want to talk about this subject of worship, because worship is more than just singing or coming to church. It is how we live all of our lives. Now, everybody worships, um, even atheists worship. And if you don't believe me, smack one on the toe with a hammer, and they will cry out to God, I guarantee it. But in our culture today, everybody worships something. It's not that we don't worship, we will all worship something. Some people worship idols. Some people worship themselves. Some people worship wealth and possessions and some people worship their jobs and their careers. Some people worship their cars. Some people worship pop stars. The problem is, is that cars break down and so do some pop stars for that matter, don't they? So, The fact is, you will worship something. Even if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you will worship something. You will put something else in his place. And that is called, the Bible says, that is called an idol. Now in Bible times, there were three primary idols. There was Baal, who was a god of sex. There was Mammon, who was a god of money. And there was Molech, who was a god of violence. And in those days, their idols were made of stone and rock and clay and wood or metal. But today, we have mental images, not metal images. So we go to movies to watch sex and violence and money. It's the same, it, it, that's what it, we do. We go to these kind of places, we see these same kind of things. Um, you know, in homes in the Orient, you will find a shrine. The shrine in the UK is a little box that you plug in called the television. And every night, when we turn it on, we see our idols. We, we don't worship objects as much as we worship images. Images of success, of wealth, of status, of sensuality. And if you don't know Jesus, you will put at least one of those, those idols, in his place. And an idol basically is this. An idol is anything... That takes the focus off of God and puts it on something else or someone else. But the countercultural church worships God and it keeps him central. God says, Worship only me, and the countercultural church takes that very seriously. Now, my guess is that the majority of us, when we think of worship, we think of things like singing or, or praise or music. But what I want you to see this morning is, in fact, that worship is much bigger than just music and singing. It's important, but it's much bigger than that. And for me, that's really good news, because if worship was just limited to singing, then I'm in absolute trouble. (laughs) Because my voice sounds a bit like a dying animal, so never, ever keep the PA up when I'm singing. You don't want to hear that. So I'm glad, I don't know about you, but I'm glad it's not all about singing, In fact, what it's all about is this. In fact, our whole life can be a spiritual act of worship. How I live my life day by day can and should be an act of worship. And it is also a powerful witness to those who don't know Jesus, to those who are kind of looking at us. And of course, it is counter-cultural to the society in which we live. Because this society worships anything but God. Now, to help you understand the word worship, worship actually comes from an old English word called worth scribe. And so worship means to declare worth. To declare or attribute worth or value to something or someone. That's what it is, to declare worth. So when we worship God, we are declaring his worth. But that leads to a question. What is God worth? What is he worth to you? What is his value in your life? Because when you discover his worth and his value, you will then become a worshipper. And you will express worship, not just through the words you say, not just through the songs you sing, but you will express worship by the way you live it. it. It will flow out of everything about you. So the big question then is, well then, how should we worship? Now, I'm sure you all know this, the, uh, the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Assembly of Ministers of 1644. I'm sure you've fully memorised all of that and know exactly what I'm going to... Talk. No, you have no idea what I'm about to say, do you? And why would you? But if you didn't, you might know of this. It's quite a well-known saying. But the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Assembly of Ministers back in 1644 puts worship like this. It says, question, what is the chief end of man... Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In other words, worship is knowing and loving God back. That's a modern day, my modern day version on that. And probably the best verse that defines worship is found in Romans 12 verse 1. Paul says, because of God's great mercy to us, Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. And I've underlined the word offer or put it in a different colour because this is what worship is all about. Our whole life can be a spiritual act of worship as we offer our lives to him. And I want you to notice two things from this verse. First of all, worship is my response to God's love. Worship is my response to God's love. Worship is the way in which I react, the way I respond to God when he loves me. That's what worship is. Remember Romans uh, 1, Romans 12, the verse says this, because of God's great mercy to us, his love to us, then we worship him back. God takes the initiative. God makes the first move. He creates us. He then saves us through the Lord Jesus Christ. He forgives us. He blesses us. He protects us. And then because of all of these things and many, many others, we are amazed by that and our only response is we worship him. And notice what we do. We offer. That word describes worship. Second, worship is giving back to God. It is giving back to God. He gives to us so many incredible things and we give back to him. And whenever you give back to God, whenever you offer anything to God, that is called worship. And that brings pleasure to God. So, for example, when your kids are grateful to you, as a parent, that brings pleasure to you, doesn't it? When we're grateful to our Heavenly Father, that brings pleasure to him. Now the question is, when it says offer, what am I supposed to offer? I mean, think about it. What do you give a God who has absolutely everything? I mean, you think finding a birthday present for some people is really hard. What what do you do, what do you give to God who's got everything? I mean, he made the world, he made you, he made the universe. I mean, what, what do you give him? Well, you give him your love. And he's very specific about how to give it. Mark 12 30 says this Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. That's worship. And notice God wants me to love him three ways. First of all, God wants me to love him thoughtfully. That's where it starts. He wants me to love him thoughtfully. Notice it says, Jesus says, love him with your mind. In other words, God wants you to think, not just to do it without thinking. He wants you to worship him thoughtfully, to engage your mind and your brain, to know and love him thoughtfully. Second, God wants me to love him passionately. He wants me to love him passionately. He says, with all your heart and all your soul. God wants you to love him passionately because he passionately loves you. If you ever doubt God loves you, you have to just look at the cross and see that he passionately gave his one and only son for you. That's how much God loves you. He passionately loves you. And third, he says, I want you to love me practically. Practically. Practically with all your strength, with all your abilities. Now, I want to suggest this morning that we so often miss the point of worship. Worship is something that we should do 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. In fact, more than that, we are not only to worship God when things are going great in our lives, but also when they are not, when things are difficult. And that's where the challenge of heartfelt worship comes in. Because anyone can come to church and worship and sing some songs. That's easy. What isn't so easy is to be able to truly worship God when life stinks. When our world is crashing down around our ears and we don't feel particularly close to God. But when we do that, but when we worship him when we realise who God is, even in the midst of difficulties, when we do that, it is a huge witness to people around us, especially to those people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ like we do. Now, I want to give you an example of this, because this isn't just kind of some ivory tower thinking. The passage in Acts 16 is helpful to understand how to worship God in any situation, because it's the story of Paul and Silas worshipping God believe it or not, while they're in prison. And your tough times might not look the same as Paul and Silas, but I want to suggest to you that these four transferable truths we're going to look at this morning, they don't change. Understanding these four truths will help us reflect God's glory and goodness back to him in all situations. So let's look at it together, because first of all, we can worship God at all times because he alone is worthy of praise. He alone is worthy of praise in the midst of our problems we can we always have a choice to make we can stay focused on our problems on our circumstances on the challenges we face or we can focus on god and paul and silas they chose to focus on god look verse 16 to 17 once we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Now... Let's help you understand where we're at with this because Paul and Silas are on their way to a kind of prayer spot that is outside the city and they come across this slave girl with an evil spirit that allows her to be the kind of sort of Philippian psychic hotline. And because of this girl's ability, her owners, well, they were making a load of money out of her. They really were. But the evil spirit can also sense God is with Paul and Silas. And so she calls out and she says, she cries out, she says, hey, look, these guys, these guys are the servants of the Most High God and they're telling you how to get saved. And at first, Paul and Silas must have thought to themselves, oh, well, thank you very much, That's, um, that's very nice of you to say so, thank you. However, she keeps this up for days, constantly going on about this. Everywhere they go, this girl walks behind them announcing that they are the servants of God. Now, it's not clear why Paul didn't choose to cast the demon out of this girl straight away, but eventually he does something about it, partly because this slave girl was bringing the gospel into disrepute and partly because Paul wanted to do something for her, something good for her to get rid of this evil spirit. Verse 18, finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Great, you might think. Well, good for her, but there's a problem. The slave girl's owners are far from pleased as to what has happened. Verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now Why did God allow that to happen to Paul and Silas? I mean, why? Because let's face it, their time in Philippi had been going really, really well. In fact, they had led a bunch of people to Christ and they were now staying with them. Uh, They'd been really effective in sharing the gospel. Uh, They had had a really good time. And um, they had this girl who could see the power of God in them and they cast out an evil spirit. So, you know, it was great. But all of a sudden, they're being falsely accused. They've been stripped and beaten in front of the whole town and they're thrown in prison. Now, don't miss the severity of the beating here. They would have been severely flogged and left feeling half dead. And as the day comes to a close, Paul and Silas find themselves beaten, bloodied, bruised and stuck in a jail with their feet in stocks. Seems like a pretty good time to to grumble and complain, doesn't it? To to moan, to to blame God, or to pull out their Roman citizens' ID cards and cash in a get-out-of-jail-free card. But that's not what they do. Verse 25, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Wow. Wow. Paul and Silas sat in their prison cell, bearing in mind all that they've gone through, probably feeling really in absolute agony and pain, exhausted, having a terrible time, and yet they sat in their prison cell, praying and worshipping God. How could they do that? And how can we? Well, you see, Paul and Silas understood an important truth about God. Even though their situation had changed, God hadn't. Even though they were in tough circumstances and their situation had changed, God hadn't. He was still the same God they had put their trust in. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus, God, is the unchangeable God. James 1.17 says, The Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God's worth never changes. And that means this. If he is worthy of praise yesterday when things seemed good, then he is worthy of our praise today when things seem bad. God's worth isn't ever attached to our circumstances. Imagine this. Imagine you wake up one morning to find that there's been a power cut in the middle of the night and your alarm clock is blinking, 12 o'clock, and the alarm didn't go off. You are late for work, which is an absolute nightmare for you as you have an important meeting first thing. You race to work, you rush into the office where the meeting is being held, only to realise that you've worn your Winnie the Pooh slippers to work. Now, that's a pretty lousy start to the day, isn't it? But has it changed who God is at all? Absolutely not. Now, I realise, and I do realise this, that often our problems are much worse than a bad morning. But maybe, and maybe you are going through a really tough situation at the moment. Maybe you're struggling with something and you see there are, there are people who act as if the problem isn't there. They kind of move into this strange denial mode. For example, someone's been um, diagnosed with cancer and it's, and it's not looking good. And the solution isn't this kind of cheesy faith that says, hey, your, your mum's got cancer. I tell you what, let's just praise God. Let's just praise the Lord. And if we praise God enough, then maybe we can act as if the cancer doesn't exist. That's not what Paul and Silas are doing here in this passage. Uh, They aren't saying, okay, look, don't say the word stock, because if we don't say it, then we won't be in them. Uh, Let's pretend we're in a posh hotel instead. Let's pretend we're living at large. We're by the pool. Let's keep thinking about being by the pool, and let's not act like we're stuck in the bottom of a stinky, horrible dungeon. They don't do that. And if there are people that you know do that, there's something wrong with their faith. Instead, before they get their eyes focused on their problems, they start thinking about the worth of an awesome, glorious God who is still in power, who's still loving, who's still greater than they are, who's still wiser than they are, who's got infinite understanding and who's running the whole universe and who works all things according to his will and who searches out all things and knows all things. That's the God we worship. And when we worship God like that, that is a powerful witness to our culture. Paul and Silas are looking at God first and they are saying, you know what, God is worthy today, no matter where we are or what we are doing, he is always worthy because he is God. Our situation might stink, our situation might look really dire, but it doesn't change the fact that God is still God. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, from everlasting to everlasting You are God. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. So we can worship God at all times because he is worthy of praise. Secondly, we can worship God at all times because he alone deserves my attention. He alone deserves my attention. Remember what I said about worship? Worship is focusing my mind, my thoughts, my attention on God. But in a lot of religions, the idea of worship is to put your mind in neutral, kind of sort of lose your mind to the universe. But the truth is this, God wants us to worship him thoughtfully. And it takes energy. It takes energy to have our minds focus on God, not just going through the motions, but really thinking about it, which actually isn't always easy to do, is it? Have you ever prayed on autopilot? You know, and if someone asked you what you just prayed, you'd have no idea what you just prayed at that point. Uh, or Do you ever find your mind drifting in church? Obviously not when I'm speaking, of course, so I appreciate that. But sometimes you kind of zone out in church, you know, you start thinking about, oh, I've got to get the potatoes on soon for lunch, or, you know, or there's something on your mind that's been bugging you for the week and it kind of just starts invading your mind you know, and your mind wanders into other things. Well, it reminds us that it actually takes energy and attention to focus on God. And do you know why God wants your focus? God wants your focus because he is focused always on you. Psalm 139 verses 1 and 3 says this, You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You know when I am resting or when I am working. You notice everything I do, and everywhere I go. Now those verses might be both an encouragement and a challenge for you. They should absolutely encourage you to know that you are never on your own because God is watching over you, but they also should be a challenge to you because God is always watching over you, whatever you're doing, good or bad. But you see, the great thing is, is God has focused his attention on you. God pays constant attention to you. He never takes his eyes off of you. He never stops thinking about you. And the reason is this, he made you to love you. He made you to love you. He made you to give you his attention. And the greatest expression of love is often attention, isn't it? Giving someone your attention is an incredible expression of love. And God puts his attention constantly on us. His love for us is eternal, you see. He is always focused on us. He is always wants to teach us to focus our heart and attention on him And to do life with him. He is always focusing on us. And that's difficult often for us to kind of return that and to focus always on God. It is hard. And honestly, the easiest thing to do in life for us human beings is to lose our focus, isn't it? We're not like one of those, um, you know, those autofocus cameras that you might have. You point it at something and immediately it focuses in on what it's going to, the person or the, the object it's going to take the picture of. No, no, we have to decide to focus. We have to choose to focus on things. Well, then how do you do that is the question. Well, you have to realise that we are very easily distracted. There are two things, two things that distract us from focusing our attention on God. First, we are self-centred by nature. And second, we live in a self-centred world, in a self-centred culture. Romans 8 verse 7 says, Focusing on yourself is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. So so we have to decide to focus in on him. Romans 12 verse 2, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. We must choose. Choose to stop thinking about some things and start thinking about God. So how do you do that? Well, Hopefully by now you can guess what I'm going to tell you to do because I'm constantly saying this kind of stuff. It's so important but you can do this focusing on God really by establishing a daily time with God, having a daily quiet time with him, just a few minutes during the day, beginning of the day, middle, end of the day, it doesn't really matter when you do it, ideally the morning is the best advice I would give you because you start your day right with God and you focus in on him before the day crowds in on you, but whatever you do, have some focused time, a Quiet time, a devotional with God, where you talk to Him, you pray to Him, you read His Word, you listen, you kind of absorb it, all of those kinds of things. In fact, the Bible talks about that in Matthew 6, verse 6. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. I love the way the message puts it like that. Sometimes we can just kind of look like we've got it going on and we kind of get a bit christian and churchy kind of stuff even before god and god goes don't role play before me i know your heart he says just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage the focus will shift from you to god and you will begin to sense his grace that's the wonderful thing when we shift our focus from ourselves to god then we will sense his grace and his love and his mercy and who he actually is And then there's a second thing you can do to focus on God, and that is develop a constant conversation with God throughout your day. Psalm 105, verse 4 says, Worship him continually. We think, what does that mean? Do I have to constantly be kind of walking around the place singing, I don't know, shine Jesus, shine constantly on repeat or something like that? I don't know. But just think, no, it's not that, Um, thankfully. Praise God for that. Um, The idea is, is to think about him throughout the day to focus your attention on him. And you have to be intentional about that. You have to decide to do that. And whatever you do, you develop these constant conversations throughout the day. Now, we all have an inner voice going on in our minds, don't we? It's not that we're kind of strange or kind of lost the plot, but we all have an inner monologue that goes on all the time through our life about various things. Well, just switch that and use that as an inner conversation with God constantly. And as you do that you are focusing on God and incredible benefits arise in our lives. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. When you focus on yourself, the inevitable results are things like worry and insecurity and anxiety and guilt and fear and discouragement. But when your focus shifts from me to God, all of a sudden you you begin to sense gratitude and hope and confidence and love because you're focusing on who God is and you remind yourself of all that he is and all that he does for you. He alone deserves my attention. Thirdly, we can worship God at all times because he is always with us. He is always with us. We're never on our own. Let's go back to Paul and Silas in prison. Look what happened when they were worshipping God. Verse 26. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. And it's very clear that God was with Paul and Silas in that prison. They weren't on their own. They weren't left to get on with it. God hadn't forgotten them. God was there with them. Now, there's something that's important to understand here, and it is this. God's promise isn't that you'll never have trials. His promise is you aren't alone. That's really important that we get our minds and our hearts around that, because sometimes we buy into this idea that when you become a Christian, uh, all your problems stop. You don't ever have a problem anymore. Or or we almost buy into this idea that culture says you should really enjoy life. Life should be a breeze. Um, You know, live the dream. You should be able to have everything that you want and you shouldn't have have any difficulties and any of that kind of stuff. That is absolute nonsense. In fact, the reverse is true. We should be surprised when we don't get trials and difficulties because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there is sin and and the effects of sin affects all of us. So we... We kind of should be surprised when we're having a, a really good time at the moment we haven't got any problems because invariably they could be around the corner. But the reality is this, God's promise is that you'll never have trials. He never promises you that, but he does promise that you'll never be on your own, that you aren't alone. And God says in Hebrews 13 verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Paul and Silas knew this. In a sense, it didn't matter to Paul and Silas what was going to happen to them because the important thing was, was that God was with them in that prison cell. And because God was there, they were able to worship and to pray and still give God the glory. And we must understand this too about worship. You may be having a really tough time at the moment. You may feel so alone in your struggles. Maybe pressure seems almost too overwhelming. But God says to you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God will never let you down. Put him to the test. He will never let you down. He may not rescue you from your struggles immediately, or maybe he will. I I don't know. But the point is, God is always there for us and he is always worthy of our praise, no matter what situations we find ourselves in. It's when we start to worship God at all times, in all situations, it's then that people sit up and notice have you, have you found that? I mean, worship God when life is great and people will basically ignore you. But if you worship God and you give God glory when life is tough, when things are really difficult, everyone will listen. People will notice. Because notice in verse 25 that Paul and Silas' fellow prisoners Listened. They were willing to stay awake, to listen to these strange guys who were singing to God, who were praising to God while they, had been, while they were bruised and they were in stocks. The jailer listened too. Do you notice that in the reading? In verses 29 to 34, the jailer is so amazed at Paul and Silas worshipping in prison that they didn't escape when they had the opportunity to do so. They could have gone, oh, result, we're out of here now. Didn't do any of that. He's amazed that they were still there, still worshipping and praising God. That he cries out in verse 30, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In other words, how can I have a faith like yours? How can I put a faith, how can I have a faith that worships God in tough situations, that gives real inner peace? How can I have what you have? And Paul simply tells him in verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the reality. That's the reality of a faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is not just good for when we die and go to heaven. Faith in Christ is good for now, today, daily, as you walk with Him. It's the adventure of faith. It's the joy of being in relationship with Christ, of inviting Him into your life and saying, "Yeah." Like the 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 jailer who says, "How do I get saved? What, What do I do?" And they say, "You don't do anything." You simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Why? Because Jesus Christ has dealt with it already. As we saw last week, as I talked about, Jesus is is the only way. Uh, Every other religion says you've got to do something. But Jesus says, Christianity says, it's already been done. It's been done by what Christ has done for you upon the cross. As he took your punishment and your sin and died in your place and rose again so that we could, we might, we can be in relationship with God through Christ. See, the point here is that God was at work. Even in this difficult situation, God was at work. He was using Paul and Silas through the way in which they worshipped him to rescue, to witness, and ultimately this, this jailer will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And very often, our trials are a megaphone for our worship and the fact that faith in Jesus makes a huge difference in our lives day by day. And fourthly, we can worship God at all times by using my abilities for God. This is the practical side of worship, this is loving God with all your strength. You see, God wants us to see him with our minds. He wants us to sense him with our heart and soul. And he wants him to serve him with our strength. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, that means anything, by the way, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. Now, let me tell you this. If you get this verse, it will absolutely revolutionise your life. You'll never be the same once you understand this verse fully. You see, you don't have to join a monastery to worship more. See, some of you go home from this message and you think, well, it's really important to know and love God, then I should have a quiet time with God and I should do that five hours a day. No, I'm not saying that. Well, then I should come to church every day of the week. No, no, you don't need to do that either. It's not about that. You just change who you're living for. You just change who you're working for. And when you change who you're working for, your work becomes worship. In fact, your daily life becomes worship. See, many, many of us, we compartmentalize our lives saying, okay, well, here's, here's my worship kind of bit of my life. And I go to church once a week or so. Uh, and maybe I go to life group. Uh, and maybe I have a daily time with God where I'm reading a little bit here and, uh, and I'm learning from God and, and that kind of stuff. And, and kind of that's all my worship, my kind of Christian stuff. But then here over here is my career and my work and what I do. And then over here is kind of my family life and that's that area. And then maybe over here is my kind of leisure or social life and that kind of stuff. And God says, no, 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 don't do that. I want you to invite me to every single area of your life. I want to be involved in all of it. Invite me into the whole thing. If you don't get anything I said today, I I do get this one truth, because it is so important. As I said, it will revolutionise your life. In life, it's not what you do that matters, it is who you do it for. It's who you do it for. Give it all to God. When you say, I'm going to do this, as if I'm doing it for God, you can turn your work into worship, your daily chores into worship, the school run into worship, family life into worship, leisure time into worship and then you are worshipping God 24 hours a day as I said that's possible not just in church God doesn't want worship just to be a church thing he wants it to be your whole life to worship God to give glory to God to honour God with the whole of your life and that is countercultural because our society does not do that Romans 12, verse 1 in the message paraphrase puts it like this It says, Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's the word again. You see, we said we'll offer is the essence of worship. I'm offering my life to God. Now this is where the rubber hits the road, because you see, real living doesn't happen in church, it doesn't even happen in a small group, it doesn't even happen in your personal quiet time with God every day and prayer and reading the Bible. No, it happens like this, it happens in the ordinary, routine, mundane things of real life. So here's the thing, you can put the bins out to the glory of God. You can make beds to the glory of God. You can clean your garage to the glory of God, and frankly, some of you probably need to do so. Everything, every element of our life can be an act of worship, and it will turn the mundane, trivial things that don't seem a whole lot into an act of worship. And that's the kind of worship God loves. You see, real worship is about a lifestyle. And when you understand how passionate God is about you, how much he loves you, how much he cares about every single detail of your life, well, you can't help but love God back. Do you know what you're going to do in heaven? The Bible says in heaven you're going to give God our attention, we're going to give God our affection, and we're going to give him our abilities for all of eternity. And here on earth, well, God wants you to practice. He wants you to practice so that when you get to heaven you will know how to worship. So as I close, let me ask you this question. It's perhaps a telling question, if you really want to give it some thought and, uh, and some kind of consideration. My question is this, what do you think about most? Because whatever you think about most is what you love the most. It's what's got your heart. What do you think about when you just let your mind drift? What does it naturally gravitate towards? Whatever that is, is what you worship. Do you know that your debit card statement and your schedule are theological documents? Without even knowing you, if you were to show me your debit card statement and you were to show me your schedule, I could tell you right now what you love. Because the way you spend your time and the way you spend your money shows You, what you love the most. The Bible says, you see, the Bible says that you and I, we were planned for God's pleasure. You were made to know and love God. And until you're in a relationship with God through Christ, you're not really living. You're certainly not living in the way in which God designed you to live. You're existing, and there are many blessings I'm sure God gives you out of His uh, grace and love to you because He made you and loves you. But you're really not living. Because we are designed, we are made to know God in relationship with him, to know him, which is possible through Jesus Christ. And once we know him and we are in relationship with Christ, then we will love him, truly love him. Because you were made to worship God. So I challenge you to make, as the number one goal of your life, before anything else, is getting to know and love God. Because that brings him pleasure. And that's living a life of worship. You make as your goal what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him. There's not a better goal in life to have than that one right there. Let's pray. And Father, what we've talked about today is no minor issue. It is the most important thing in life, getting to know and love you. And Lord, I realise that there are people here at all different stages in their spiritual journey But help each of us to take the next step that we need to take. Father, maybe we just would like to pray in our minds. Maybe as I lead us in this prayer, you might want to echo some of these things. You don't have to say it out loud, but you might just want to kind of join me in your mind as I pray. Dear God, I wouldn't even exist, exist if it wasn't for you. Forgive me for the times I think and act like you don't matter. Today I've realised you made me to love me and that the priority of my life is to know and love you back. I'm amazed that you long for a relationship with me and I'm amazed you're interested in the details of my life. But most of all, I'm amazed you would come to earth to die for me. Please forgive me God for not worshipping you. I want to learn how to focus my attention on you throughout my day. I want to turn every aspect and part of my life into worship. I want to learn to love you with a love that you deserve, thoughtfully with my mind, passionately with my heart and soul, and practically with my abilities. Help me, I pray, in your name. Amen. Amen.